Hello again, I'm Miriam Felton. Welcome to Yarn Stories Podcast. do a little something different. I've been shaping every episode to have a yarn producer or someone, you know, tied to the yarn, an interview with them, and then having an interview with an expert about the properties of the yarn or the fiber, that sort of thing. But today, uh, we're going to dedicate the whole episode to talking to an author of a book that really, really fits with the premise of this podcast. So we're going to talk to Hannah Thyssen. She is a yarn industry insider and an obsessive knitter, and she just published her first book, Slow Knitting. Hannah lives in Knoxville, Tennessee with a very cute cat. And I met her and felt like she was a sister immediately. And we hit it off and we talked and we had lunch and uh, she's like just such a genuine person. <laughs> and I really love her book. Her book is a beautiful piece that you should all have on your shelves. Even though I am, as you'll find out in this interview, very much not a slow knitter, I'm much more a product knitter than a process knitter, but we'll discuss that in the interview. So I hope you enjoy this and let me know if you'd like to hear from more authors. I have a couple more planned for this season, but we'll see how that goes. So without further ado, here is Hannah. I'm here with Hannah Thyssen, who just released her first book, and it ties so nicely into the theme of this podcast that I decided we needed to talk. So, hey, Hannah. Hey. So, your book is called Slow Knitting, A Journey from Sheep to Skein to Stitch. Can you tell me what the term slow knitting means to you? Yeah. So, usually, um, when people hear about the book, they think that it's for them because they're a slow knitter. <laughs> like, they, it takes them a long time to complete a project, yeah. which definitely is slow knitting in the most literal sense of the term and fits with me really well because even though I can make stitches quickly finishing projects it's definitely not a strong suit for me it takes <laughs> takes a while yeah but the idea behind slow knitting is really similar to other kind of slow living movements like slow food or slow mm -hmm. fashion in that it's an encouragement and um, maybe even like a plea for people to kind of slow down on the consumerist society that we live in yeah. in the need to complete and be incredibly productive and just do things for the joy of doing them in the best possible way of doing them. So focusing okay. on craftsmanship and sourcing and yeah, that kind of thing. That makes sense. So there's a passage from your book that I'd like to read, which fits in nicely with this. Um, under the header, Experiment Fearlessly, in the intro, you say, putting slow knitting into practice will allow you to muse over the simplicity of the stitches you know and rise to the challenge of using new techniques and materials. Take away the burden of perfection and instead allow yourself to embrace or correct your mistakes as they come. So it sounds like you're a process knitter. Well, I wouldn't really identify myself as either. I've thought about that a lot, actually. Yeah. Well, so I kind of see it as a scale. Yeah. You know, that like there's a scale of process to product and, you know, at any given project, you're somewhere on that scale. Yeah, totally. And I think it slides, yeah. you know, during the project. <laughs> That's true. I love, 
<laughs> I love the process up until I get really close to being finished. Yeah. And then I'm like, I just want it done. I just want to be done. <laughs> and that's the part that for me is like, I have to slow myself down. Now I'm trying really hard to because the finishing elements of knitwear are so important. Yeah. The blocking and the seaming has to be perfect or, yeah. well, maybe not perfect, but as accurate as possible. <laughs> And done with intention and buttonholes. I recently have been knitting this cardigan for like six months and I'm so close. I'm like an inch and a half away from being finished. <laughs> and I made the buttonholes just a little too large. Oh no. So I'm ripping out three inches to fix the buttonhole. You know. And then I'll re-knit the four inches. You can always make buttonholes smaller with the needle and thread. I thought about that, but there's um I have a need to do it right. Okay. I get and that. And so my thought was just uh, if I took the needle and thread and I did that, then I would know that I had like fudged a fix. Okay. And when you sit, when you sit as an author and you're like preaching to people that you should do things right <laughs> the first time and like go back and fix it and embrace that part of, you know, it's really hard to convince yourself to be like, yeah, but I'm not going to do that. Yeah. I'm, I'm much more uh, free form with that. Um, I figure if you, if you can look at it and not see the mistake like if you can if you can look at it and go meh then like cool leave it but if you know yourself well enough to know that you can't and it's going to bug you forever then you should absolutely go back and fix it yeah and see it probably wouldn't bug me forever because I have tons of garments like I have sweaters that I wear all the time that still have ends dangling in them yeah I'm the worst for socks I'll like leave the cast on tail (laughs) and just tuck it into the cuff of the sock for like 10 years after I made the sock (laughs) I have socks that are so worn that they have been darned and I've taken the time to darn them and had the tapestry needle out and still not woven in that oh man that's awesome so I'm like trying to be more um more conscientious about the finishing of projects that's fair so actually let's kind of jump back a little bit let me describe for for listeners what we mean when we say process versus product knitter so uh, there's there's two schools of thought there's process that like the most important thing to you is the act of knitting it you know needles like the whole planning of the project you know the you enjoy the process most and then product knitters um, generally are knitting because they want the finished item so, you know, you get through the process as quickly as you can because the product is your focus. So um, personally, mm-hmm. I find myself more on the product side. Like I really enjoy the process, but I'm definitely more of a production knitter. Um, I whip it out. Sometimes I'm like, I just need to get, make some serious progress on this knit. So I'm going to like watch a marathon of something on Netflix and just knock out like six inches. You know, that's that's I'm much more on that side of it. So it's kind of nice to get the view of somebody who's a little closer to the process end. I would say I'm like completely both. Yeah, it's really I'm like all of it checks boxes for me because I enjoy sitting down and choosing the yarn and then picking like I'm very specific about which needles I choose. Mm-hmm. I want there to be a harmonious balance yeah. the whole time I'm knitting a project. So I have like wooden needles and metal needles and I'll sit down and go this wool belongs with a wooden needle and then I'll pull all of those things out and look for the right size and sometimes I'll even choose this is really really ridiculous but I'll choose like a needle color based on the color of the yarn oh that's funny well but no that makes sense like if you're using a dark a dark yarn yeah having a lighter colored needle would mean that you see your stitches better it's absolutely valid or if you're knitting 
if you're knitting blue, you don't want to have green needles. Yeah. <laughs> so you pick something have, that, you like know. a red needle yeah. or, yeah. Something so with more I, contrast. I'm really something that, weird about that. That's fair. No, that's good. I, I am so not that. I have one, like, I have a big set of interchangeable needles. A few years ago, mm-hmm. I found I had a nickel allergy, so I had to get rid of all of my Addies and switch oh. over to um, to stainless steel needles. And so I just, like, got rid of all of the needles I'd collected over years and just bought interchangeable sets, and that's all I have. I love interchangeables. Me They're, too. like, my favorite. It's like having the right amount of shoes in your closet. Yeah. I'm feeling like I have a little too many. (laughs) It's like, I have shoes for everything. And, but you can never have enough either. You know, you can be like, I have shoes for everything, but I still need more high heels. At least that's my (laughs) closet. I'm addicted to high heels, but, um, (laughs) I fall right off of them. (laughs) I do have trouble imagining you wearing high heels, like really high heels. Yeah. Yeah. I even match, I even will match uh, stitch markers to a project yeah. like oh I love doing it. that it's like jewelry for your knitting mm-hmm. <laughs> I love it yeah it's great yeah and then it's just the whole t- the whole time I'm thinking about how lovely what I'm knitting is going to be to wear yeah but I also spend a lot of time just pausing and I, it's really terrible to watch me knit because I um I just pause and I like pet the swatch or pet the yarn <laughs> or if there's other people in the room they get really annoyed with me because I'm like isn't it beautiful look at this four inch square that I've knit isn't it gorgeous I'm like, yeah whatever we're trying to watch a movie <laughs> <laughs> that's funny that actually stop telling me about your knitting project nice that segues quite nicely into the next question. So you talk about how swatching is really important to understanding the yarn in the book. Yeah. Um, can you describe a time when your swatch completely changed your mind or that the yarn behaved so differently in the swatch that like you had to change plans? All the time. It's, I feel like it's every time. <laughs> um, <laughs> what, what yarn I, specifically like most recently oh or gosh. what sticks um, in your mind? Well, right now, like currently, as I am on the phone with you, I'm knitting a swatch. <laughs> um, and I'm knitting with a Surrey and wool blend. It's from Salt River Mills. It's their Simply Surrey yarn. Okay. And I knew that it was going to have some drape to it. So I actually went down a needle size because I wanted a more lush fabric. Mm-hmm. So I'm knitting on threes. And I thought like, oh, you know, this will be this will be perfect. And then I started thinking about knitting a sweater on threes. And I started hating my life. <laughs> See, that sounds like heaven to me. <laughs> yeah. And so then I was like, but I want to put cables on this. So there's going to be a lot of experimentation yeah. for this particular project because the yarn does still have a lot of drape, even on size three needles. Yeah, but you need to give so, it enough structure to hold the cables and show the cables. Yeah. So I just want to make sure the cables get shown off. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, what's the and point so of that? there will be a lot of, I think it's the same as any, the way that any designer swatches for a project is the same exact way that I swatch for a project. And it's sitting down and looking at the yarn that I have and going, okay, you know, what, what would maybe work for this? What kind of feel do I want the finished garment to have? And then hoping that I know the yarn well enough mm-hmm. um, to pick the right one. The end. Yeah. Yeah, I do keep a lot of single skeins of yarn. I have the added benefit of working in the yarn industry. So if someone makes a yarn and I feel like I'm going to want a garment of it later, Mm -hmm. sometimes I will just buy one skein. And that way I can swatch for endless number of projects until I find the right one. It has the caveat that you end up with a lot of random (laughs) swatches and ball partials yeah but I have a really good photographic and tactile memory yeah so 
even if the label has gone missing, I can touch yarn and know what it is. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I have some scrap sock yarn blankets that the same thing. I'm like, I know exactly what this yarn is and I know what I used it for. And, you know, and I'm like, we could just go row by row and I could be like, that's this yarn, that's this yarn, that's this yarn. Yeah. I think that a lot of, a lot of knitters kind of get like that Mm -hmm. Um, because we know our yarn, we know yarn so intimately. That's true. You yeah. spend hours and hours and hours. I mean, more time than we probably spend with our family members or <laughs> our if co-workers. we're lucky. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, how often do you sit down and just talk to a coworker or even a family member for like four hours at a time? Yeah, not very frequently. After you know them for a while. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You might be in the same room as them for four hours. But, but sitting you're down not, and talking. You know, yeah. talking to them. Or, and also yeah. like asking really intimate questions. Like you really get to know a yarn intimately. Definitely. Yeah, almost to the point that it's not appropriate <laughs> to talk about it. <laughs> like if you were getting to know a person this intimately, you wouldn't want to talk about it on a podcast. <laughs> yeah, truth. So your book is threaded through with such a sense of romance. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems really clear that you love yarn and fiber with a passion. The photos are like pinups of luscious yarn with soft lighting, rich textures in the background. So what inspired this theme throughout the book? And are you a secret yarn pornographer? <laughs> I do feel like I should maybe <laughs> change my job title. That Yarn is pornographer fantastic. is pretty good. I'm sure that everyone who's going to listen and you yourself know this feeling. But <laughs> when you when you pick up a skein of yarn for the first time and it speaks to you, yeah. it's like this deep resonating joy. Mm-hmm. For me, it like hits me right below my rib cage at the at the bottom of my sternum. It's like mm-hmm. a happy glowy feeling and I sit there and I look at it and I go oh it's so woolly and it's um it's got you know the scent of lanolin on it or the way the yarn yes or the way the dye has been applied it has a glow to it like it's calling Mm -hmm. calling to us and I guess I just wanted the photos for the book to feel like that I wanted wanted people to fall in love with them yeah I wanted to translate how the yarns felt, not just how they looked, because books are so visual. And when you're telling people, you should go out and buy this yarn, and they can't touch it. Yeah. Then I needed to get them as close as I could to touching it without being able to touch it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So you wanted them to basically be able to feel it through the page. Yes, as much as possible. And everything with the book, um, the color choices, the matte finish on Mm -hmm. the pages... Oh, I love the matte finish. Um, everything Ugh. is really considered. For instance, the the matte finish, I like it because it shows photos in a softer way. Yeah. Well, um, and you don't you get a truer color because you're not having extra light reflected yeah. off of There's the page. There's no gloss. Yeah. And also, as an as someone who knits patterns, the worst thing in the world is trying to write in a gloss finish book. <laughs> Good point. But you can write in a matte, like a higher quality matte paper can yeah. take pencil marks or pen, yeah. and it can be erased. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want. So I don't want people to feel guilty about writing all over their books. Yeah, I don't do that mostly for, you know, at least for knitting books. I do for uh, recipe books, but I write that's... all over all. Yeah. Of my books. It's, for me, it's the special collections librarian in me. I like I just can't yeah. bring myself to do it. I worked I worked at special collections for like four or five years. So I understand. I, yeah, I can't. <laughs> but if the paper's not right, I, I won't write in a book. You oh, know, that's fair. Um, mm-hmm. I have beautiful books that I would love, you know, I would love to write in, but I don't write in them. So I just use post-it notes. Yeah. There's so many post-its. Post-it notes into those mm-hmm. books. Yep. Awesome. 
so there's 10 patterns in your book and yes. they're from a great range of pattern designers, like, you know, super well-known people, like less well-known people, but all the patterns are beautiful. So how did you pair the designers with the yarns that they used? Yeah. So the book developed in a very sort of, um, organic way. Mm-hmm. It started with me knowing maybe three of the yarns that I wanted to feature, and then yeah. the others were just brands. I said, you know, I want to feature this brand or mm-hmm. this um, yarn line, and then I needed to pick something in that line. Well, for instance, like Green Mountain Spinnery, you could have picked anything in their line, and it would, you know, absolutely have been fit with the book. Yes. So for them, they're actually, it's funny that you brought that one up, because Green Mountain was a later addition to the book, even though they came in first. Um, Everyone that I talked to, the designers that I spoke to who were involved with the book early, Veronique and Mm -hmm. Julia, um, Mm -hmm. Farwell Clay notably, and Bristol was kind of involved pretty early, um, Jennifer Wood, they were like, do you have an interview with Green Mountain Spinnery planned for this book? And I was like, I've never used their yarns. I don't know anything about their yarn. So I started doing research and it was clear to me that they were really perfect for the they book. They really are. I mean, everything yeah. they do is like in line with what I wanted to write about. And I didn't know their yarns at all. So when I was at Rhinebeck, I went to their booth and kind of felt uh. everything up. And the weekend wool is what spoke to me because I have a deep abiding love for woolly wools. If I touch something and it's like overly rustic or it has um, a really thick, I guess I would call it like a thick spin. But if you were going to be a a yarn connoisseur and you wanted to use correct terms, like maybe slightly over applied and underspun to the sense that the spinning has been done at too dense you know, underdrafted, yeah. I guess is the word. Yeah. And um, it's almost like there's too much yarn in the yarn. Yeah. And too much wool in the yarn. So I lofty. love that it's sort of like dense. density. It's very, yeah. Yeah. Deep, heavy density. And those kinds of um, wools usually don't make for my favorite garments. Like I'll knit something out yeah. of it and I'll be like, this is just like really thick and unwearable. But <laughs> Well, the, I think they're designed for outerwear. Do you know what I mean? They're like they're like gansies and farm wear, like something you'd wear on a boat to keep you, you know, dry. Like yes. it's it's got a purpose. Yeah. It's just maybe not the purpose that fits with your life. <laughs> right. So, but something about them just keeps drawing me to them over and over again. Yeah. And yeah. so I had kind of been looking for something that had that feeling, but it was more reasonably spun. Yeah. Something that could be used easily. But not quite so hard on your hands. Yeah, the mohair kind of softens it up a little bit, but still gives mm-hmm. it this sort of lofty feel. It has a lot of yarn in the yarn, but it's not heavy. Um, yeah. The rustic wool quality is very, it takes color beautifully. Um, okay. So it's very like dye friendly. And the colors in the weekend will just glow. Green yeah. Mountain has a lot of kind of more muted bases, like bases that have fibers mixed in that maybe don't take color in the same way. Yeah. But the mohair content in that makes the colors really glowing and uh, passionate, passionate color. So 
Yeah. That's why I picked the weekend wool. And then for the designer, I had Carol Feller on my list for designers I wanted to work with, but I hadn't assigned her a yarn yet. And so I asked her if she would want to work in that yarn. And she said, sure. And she did a cowl, which to me is like not what I would have picked for weekend wool first glance, but actually worked out yeah. really well. It feels like That's this cool. outerwear piece that you would layer over your favorite sweater or wear even on the outside mm-hmm. of your coat. Yeah, um, it's that makes sense. really great. And the yarn softens up a lot after you wash and block it. So like, you know, five years of wear, it would be silky soft. So with the mohair content, you'd also be able to knit it at a slightly larger gauge to get more drape into the hand, but then it would fluff and fill the space. Yeah. And it wouldn't feel like it was, you know, open, slinky fabric. Oh, definitely. That's great. So um, did everybody else kind of organically come together that way? Yeah. So I, I started working on the book around the time that I attended my first Vogue Knitting Live. And I met Julia Farwell-Clay there for the first time. And she and I spent, like, we spent a very inebriated evening in my hotel room (laughs) talking about how I wanted to write this book. And she was like, you should totally do it. And I was like, I should totally do it. She was just so encouraging. And she just knew at that moment that I needed a cheerleader. Mm-hmm. And so when we came back from VK Live, she reached out and she said, so are you going to do it? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> so I talked great. to talked to Bristol and I talked to Veronique about the book and um, that I wanted to do it. But I hadn't really pulled together the proposal or submitted yet. So mm-hmm. I had three, three, four, five people. It just kind of kept uh, rolling. Julie Aslin, um came on board early. Jennifer Wood came on board early and they were like, you just need mm-hmm. to submit it. You just need to hurry up and submit it. So finally they pushed me and I submitted um, the book proposal and it was accepted. And at that yeah. point, I kind of had to really start thinking about yarns and who I wanted yeah. to feature because there's so many wonderful yarns that are being produced uh, to the standards and the quality that I was looking for. Yeah. And so Which, thankfully it gives me lots yeah, of fodder. Lots of podcast. options. And so I just sort of started with yarn brands that I already had fallen in love with, yarns that I already knew a little bit, Mm -hmm. like acquaintances or um, yarns that I had wanted to try but hadn't tried yet. Mm -hmm. And I asked around, I said, you know, what yarn do you feel is, I asked the designers involved, what yarn do you feel is the most important to include or what yarn have you heard of that fits the bill for this? And so yeah. I ended up with a long, long list, much more yarn than I could possibly feature. And that's why there are the chapters, but there are also yarn introductions at the end of mm-hmm. each chapter to just jam yeah. a little more yarn in there. That's great. Um, as far so as, you really hive-minded it. Yeah. And as far as the designer assignment, um, a lot of the designers just sort of seem to – it just happened really randomly sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like I had yeah. decided that I wanted to use wool folk um, – for one of the chapters and I thought who would love who would love an opportunity to knit with like the world's softest yarn <laughs> right and then so I thought beautiful. I think Veronique deserves that <laughs> and so she really does yeah so I just <laughs> called her and I said would you want to work with Wolfolk and she was like that sounds wonderful yeah. she had not used the yarn before so it was her first time working with it and I think she's just totally I mean how could you not be in love with it it's so soft yeah it feels like knitting with kittens well, it's so all of their yarns are so like thoughtfully produced, you know, like they take they take the fiber content and like really think about the best way to show it, you know, like yeah. the chainette yarn. I can't remember what it's called, but they have a, a chainette yarn because it's like alpaca, which wow. is it's you know, the one we used for the book. I think. Yeah. Yeah. So like, you know, they've they've 
structured the yarn itself in such a way that it that it's going to function beautifully in a bunch of different like they've, they've taken the the bad things you know the cons mm-hmm. of that particular fiber and like completely wiped them away so that it's just a dreamy experience yeah and i have to say i'm really impressed with that yarn in general because i had mm-hmm. knit a cow with it right right after it came out I had three skeins and I knit a cowl, just a really simple ribbed cowl. And I wore it nonstop for a winter, (laughs) the whole winter. And it really doesn't pill. Because of how it's plied, it doesn't pill, which is unheard of in ultra, ultra soft yarn. I have never sweater shaved it. It has um, a slight halo to it all over that kind of hides the stitches a little bit. But it's not felted and it's not pilled at all. So yeah, I knew from that that it would be fine in a garment, mm-hmm. um, that it would become like just better over time. Yeah. Like that's a really thoughtfully produced yarn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just, I love yeah. it. Kudos, like, kudos Kirsten Ford. Yeah. It's like you've taken, you know, it's, it's the same kind of feel as like at those perfectly curated boutique shops that like you go in and you're like, I would love that. I would love that. I love that. You know, like I would wear anything in this shop. Um, but for yarn, it's that same feeling of like just curation, like epically perfect curation. Yeah. Kristen is really, um, dedicated to how she makes yarn. She spent a long time working at Shibuya and learning, about mm-hmm. um, the Japanese process of making yarns. Yeah. And I think that that has really pulled into her own business. I, you know, I have a lot of experience, most of my industry experiences with South American made yarns, mm-hmm. and they have a very developed mill culture. And their mill yeah. culture is very oriented towards celebrating wool because that's what's produced in South mm-hmm. America. And merino, a lot of merino comes from there and then alpaca, yeah. obviously. Yeah. And so to take kind of like a Japanese construction and apply it to a really high quality, ultra soft merino that's bred for luxury mm-hmm. just combines two kind of opposite ends of the globe in a really interesting way. Well, it makes something completely unique. Mm -hmm. And then she brings her own Scandinavian roots into everything. So it's a very worldly yarn. I like it a lot. It's great. (laughs) It's a great yarn. And if if anyone listening hasn't knit with it yet, you have to because it's it's basically like bonbons for knitters. Like treat yourself. Right. Even if you buy one skein and make yourself like like perfect little mitts or something, you know what I mean? Like a really small project so that you can feel it. But like do make something that will go next to your skin because it's absolutely luscious. Yeah. If you don't know what to make, just knit it into a square and rub it on your face after you wash your face a few times. (laughs) Or stuff it down your bra and just like (laughs) wear it all day. Like a a camisole. Oh man! Even like it's like uh, one of those weighted blankets for autistic yeah. kids. It's just like like you just touch it to like calm you down. Yeah, it's a it's an anxiety swatch. That's what I need. It's an anxiety swatch. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what you need. Yeah. Oh, so awesome. I don't know. It's kind of funny because I wanted to show the full range of how yarn can be. So I went from like the really rustic all the way to you know knitting with clouds throughout yeah. the book. 
Yeah, well, and, you know, that, that slow knitting to you is not just about, like, a rustic wool that, you know, you know, the farmer that it came from, and it was mill spun, and, you know, you don't, you don't need, you know, to go that route for slow knitting. It's about enjoying the process. It's about understanding, you know, each stitch and 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 being connected to it. Yeah, that's a big a big part of it. I do love knowing where my materials are made and I do talk about yeah. that a lot in the book. But I feel that knitting like so many other things in our world has had so much brought to our attention. There's so many potential yeah. issues or pitfalls or um, concerns that every consumer yeah. of every product has right now that yeah. I wanted to write a book that gave you permission to care about as much or as little as you need to care about right now to keep yeah. the hobby enjoyable because yeah. it's so hard to sit down and go, okay, I want to knit a hat. And the hat needs to be a soft yarn. And I also have to think about where the wool is from. And I want to think about where the wool is spun and how it's milled and who dyes it and what process they use. Mm -hmm. And then I need to think yeah. about how far the wool traveled to get to me. I don't want to increase the pressure for any knitter. Yeah. I just want people who want to know those things to find a few brands that they love who do everything right for them that meet all mm -hmm. of their standards. And support them when they can. And then feel good about supporting them over and over. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, um, there's there's a lot of, I wrote a post about it a while back, about like the element of shaming that was coming with the green movement. Mm -hmm. um, I have been I have been on both sides of this. You know, like I still don't buy organic food because I can't afford it, you know? Yeah. Like I buy it organic when I can. But um I, I, I'm really an advocate for doing as much as you can mm -hmm. and, you know, making conscious choices. Yeah. You know, like if you if you really can't afford to, you know, buy organic milk this month, then don't like, you know, you should make like if you can if you can buy something that like was more local, you know what I mean? There's levels. There's levels of totally. And a certification of, yeah. is not. No, uh, the certification nope. or lack of certification is not an indication yeah. that things are being done wrong either. Yeah. A lot of a lot of people just like smaller farms can't afford the certification mm -hmm. process. Yeah. I think a lot about it with cheese. Yeah. I think that there's so many delicious, amazing cheeses and they've made been made the same way for centuries. Yeah. And but they're not going to bother with. An yeah. Why would they go and get if you've built your reputation on making the best cheddar in the world mm -hmm. and you've already gained recognition, what need is there for you to go out and get additional certifications? Exactly. People should yeah. know that you're doing it right because you're very passionate about your product. Mm -hmm. For sure. So I always just try to think about the pa I mean, the passion behind, the intention and the passion behind making something is yeah, means more sometimes more important than a piece of paper or a symbol on the label. Yeah. And for me, like, I'm not stressing about eating organic. I'm more stressing about eating local and seasonal yeah. because I feel like it makes a bigger impact than, you know, than organic specifically. I would agree. I just want, I mean, on my personal, in my personal life, I just want to go back to um, appreciating the things that I spend money on yeah. and also appreciating the work that goes into them. Yeah. I think it, it, gives you it gives you less of the consumerist like grabby hands mentality mm -hmm. to just to know you know know the people involved you know you know what i mean it gives you the that like happy glow and the warm appreciation without without having to go crazy with buying things yeah you know and what I mean? especially like, this time one of year stain. yeah oh god it's uh it's crazy 
So what are you working on now? Well, um, going into 2018, I try not, I try not to set resolutions per se, yeah. but I do have goals. The book has been doing really well. Thank you thank everyone who has purchased a copy or <laughs> talked about it. Um, yeah. Like you, Miriam, thank you. Oh, um, and I just want to continue sort of pursuing the route that the book is allowing me to take. I have mm -hmm. a few workshops scheduled. I've applied for some teaching positions at various shows yeah. and events. And I would like to try my hand at doing a little bit of designing. Designing yeah. has always been something that's kind of out there for me because I went to fashion school. So I have experience constructing garments and knowing yeah. how to put a garment together. But at the same time, I'm very, like I said, I'm very slow about it. And designing yeah. is a lot about working to deadlines, even if they're only your own deadlines. Yeah. yeah. That, that's, I swear that's half the reason why I'm a product knitter. Yeah. So I spend a lot of time um, thinking about ideas that I have for designs and then not actually working on them. So this year, my goal yeah. is to maybe design a sweater for the first mm -hmm. time. And whether that sweater will be just something I make for myself or something that gets released is, you know, yeah. left up, up, to, up to the universe. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> it shall be seen yeah. later. I would like to do um, a sock design of a couple sock designs kind of in my head that I haven't put to Me paper too. or yarn or needle yet. Yeah. And Outside of that, mostly just uh, I would like to do more teaching. I am working on proposals for another book. Excellent. So I'm not sure what it's going to be about. Everyone seems to be suggesting the title Even Slower Knitting. Don't, <laughs> I don't think no, that's what's going to happen. I don't think but so. No. <laughs> <laughs> even Slower Knitting. Projects that you can't complete even if you wanted to. Projects you'll never complete in your yeah. lifetime. <laughs> it's like... Uh, color work, um, full bodysuit, knit on size one needles <laughs> with like 700 <laughs> colors involved. Oh, God. And you have to record, you know, the, a different color every day of the week based on your aura or something ridiculous. You know, <laughs> that would be the type of project that would be in there. I, yeah, I won't be doing that. That's but funny. I do want to kind of continue on on this sort of momentum because the response has been so wonderful. It seems like yeah. every Every day I get a new email or message on Ravelry that just touches me in a in a, a way that I never dreamed with the book. I thought I would write a book yeah. and people would be excited about the patterns and the writing would be like a bonus. And a lot mm -hmm. of people are focusing on the writing and that's yeah. really touching to me. I had an, a book signing here in Knoxville at Loopville Yarn Store. It's a great store if you're headed to the area. And and it was just great. We had you know 30 people there and everybody was ecstatic about the way that this was calling people to approach projects and yeah. to have knitters tell you that you've changed their way of knitting after they've been knitting for wow. 40 plus years it's huge that's great I mean I know when I go to a an event I'm never going to be the expert in the room knitting is yeah. one of these things where I always get nervous talking to people about it because I'm never going to be the most knowledgeable person there's always going to be <laughs> someone who knows more so when you yeah. tell someone about something they already know, you have to approach it carefully yeah, and with um, a lot of humility. And so that's what yeah. I just always try to do when I talk about the book. I feel like your book is, um, is pitching a philosophy and a way of approaching knitting. It's not, it's not like you're coming to it as an expert. You're just like, this is what I've found to be fulfilling. And maybe it'll help you in your life to take it in however you want. Yes. And for me, it's, you know, it's still like a work in progress. 
Some days I I wake up and I am, you know, oh, I just want to finish, you know, that inch on my sweater and I can't wait to take out those buttonhole stitches and redo them. Yeah. And then other mornings I wake up and I'm like, I just want to start new things. I want to finish something fast. I want to start a quick project. So embracing my own sort of written down philosophy, writing it down in a way has kind of made it so that I feel more like I need to live it. It's codified it. So Hannah's been kind enough to give you all a free bonus pattern from the book. It's called the Clover Hat. And if you want it delivered right to you, you can join my newsletter for you to be able to download it for free. So tell us a little bit about that pattern. Yeah. So what happened with the book is that I had a lot of designers that I really wanted to feature. Rachel Coopy is the designer of this hat. And I wanted to feature her and I picked out a yarn. It's called Stein Wool. It's British four ply, small batch wool made in the mm-hmm. UK. And nice. I was really, really keen on it. But when we did the interview and all the information, it just didn't have enough. There wasn't enough meat to include it yeah. as a whole feature. So we bumped it and decided that it would be a bonus pattern instead. And we featured the Steinwall yeah. in one of the chapters as a yarn introdu- as a uh, yarn for thought. Mm-hmm. So uh, when I talked to Rachel about it, she was okay with me just purchasing the pattern for a limited time, and then eventually the rights will revert. So right now the pattern is only available when you attend an event um, or when you subscribe to a newsletter or special sort of circumstance, like with the podcast. The hat itself is really adorable. It has a lot of tiny details to it that I think make it really special. Like the ribbing is different sizes. So when you do... The rib, it's not just knit two, purl two. It's like knit four, purl one, knit one through the back loop, you know, purl three, that sort of thing. So that it has a yeah. sort of variation in the ribbing section. That's cool. Then you get up to the main body of the hat, and it's kind of a repeated cable that has a short panel. So you're doing these ribs that run vertically that are created by the panels of cables. Mm-hmm. But the cable is not hard. You just have to pay attention. So it's yeah, a slow knitting cool. hat in the truest sense of the word. It's a hat, so it shouldn't take you very long to whip it out. But at yeah. the same time, it's got things that require you to actually look at it and think about it as you move along, which that means it's sense. not really TV knitting. Yeah, but it's, so it's kind of like like a you know an easy introduction into the whole philosophy of the book. Yes. Yeah, definitely. And I do get asked if there are any beginner patterns in the book a lot. And I would say there are several. Um, Mm -hmm. Michelle Wong's pattern, the Mayak sweater, is very, very basic pullover shape. And Mm -hmm. it's in chunky yarn. So that's a a great candidate. Carol Feller's cowl at the beginning, the hepatica cowl, is knit using short rows, but it's knit flat. So it's just like knitting a scarf and then seaming it. Very simple yeah, for new knitters. Yeah. All knits and pearls and then just turning, you know, wraps and turns. She does, I think, yeah. German short rows in the pattern. I like German short rows. Yeah, they're great. And then Pam Allen's pattern, the sheep swirl hat and mitts, is so simple. It's very, very beginner friendly and works up very quickly. So you can just play, you can play with all kinds of yarns in the oh, role fun. of that pattern. So there are beginner patterns. I think there's this idea that once you get to the knitting philosophy level of the book and you stop thinking it's just because it's for <laughs> slow slow knitters who can't, you know, get their act together or whatever, that it's um <laughs> that it's all difficult, but it really isn't. There are some difficult yeah. patterns, but most of the patterns are pretty accessible. 
Yeah, that's great. Um, I think that too frequently we think, oh, this is a, you know, a complex, intricate yarn, or this is such a, you know, luscious luxe yarn that, you know, we'll do something simple to show it off. But, you know, there's there's just as much enjoyment in the process of knitting it yourself and that you want to, like, you want your brain to work. You want to be challenged sometimes, you know, yeah. that, that I think we all need to branch it out a little bit more. Yes. <laughs> you know? Definitely. I think that the idea behind having a more expensive yarn is because better materials and more process is put into mm-hmm. developing that yarn usually. Yeah. So yeah. if you've got a yarn that's been highly engineered to be a wonderful yarn and then you just want to knit plain stockinette with that, that's great. But yeah. at the same time, like maybe that yarn is specifically designed to show itself off in cables or do really yeah. well as a lace yarn. So even if it goes against, you know, what's going to be easy or fast, sometimes that's a better route to take. Yeah. Well, challenge yourself and challenge the yarn and see how it comes out. That's that's part of the process of the swatching, you know, <laughs> like uh, sometimes when I get a new skein of yarn or a skein of a new yarn, um, I'll just, I'll knit a stockinette swatch. I'll just like keep going. So I knit, you know, a little bit of stockinette. I change needle sizes. Um, and I, I always mark um, with pearl bumps what the needle size is on the swatch so that I can, you know, remember because I'm never going to remember otherwise. <laughs> so like if it's a four, I put a little cluster of four pearl yeah, bumps. Yeah, I've heard of people you know, in the doing corner. that with yarn overs too. Like yeah, I find that yarn overs will change my stockinette gauge. Oh, yeah. So I like pearl bumps instead of yarn overs. Um, but... So, you know, I'll do like a swatch, a little bit of swatch, and it's like a six inch, seven inch wide swatch. So it's not really little, but, you know, a bit of swatch in um, on a four, a bit of swatch on a five, and then do some like standard like arrowhead lace or do some cables mm-hmm. and just play with the yarn and let it tell me what it wants to be. Yeah, I definitely, I don't seem to have any problem buying single skeins whose entire purpose is just <laughs> to be swatches. Yeah. This happens to yeah. me frequently. I do love uh, companies that put, their yarn in 50 gram put-ups for yeah, that reason. Because you'd have a little less waste. Yeah, just so that I don't have to store big big skeins, especially fingering weights, um, I find. Yeah. But then, you know, you have more ends to weave in in your finished project. But if you're me, you might not weave them in at all. <laughs> Since I don't, don't do that sometimes. My mother loves to joke with me about it. She's like, so is this project, does this have any ends woven in on the inside or... Is it just a That's tangle funny. of loose, wild yarns in there? Nice. So previous guest of the podcast, Amanda Jarvis, is one of my really good friends. And anytime I go to her house, there's always like, you know, she, she has like a mending pile um, that hangs over the chair that I usually end up sitting in because you know, like she and her husband sit on the couch and then, you know, there's this extra side chair. So like I sit in the side chair and I just pick up the pile of mending and I'm always weaving in her ends or like sewing buttons on her husband's suits. <laughs> It's it's a little trade that we have. I just do it instinctively, and she, uh, you know, just leaves them there for me. <laughs> that is too funny. So you know, if you ever if you ever like come to Salt Lake, or if I come to Knoxville, or wherever you end up, like just hand me a pile. I'll weave in all your ends. <laughs> well, you might get you might get a package in the mail soon. Hey, that's cool. You don't know too. what you're asking for here. <laughs> Well, I'll be at TNNA in January, so, you know, yeah. bring an extra suitcase if you're coming. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So I have a standard question that I ask everyone at the end of their interview. 
Uh, what would be your superpower? I would have to say mine is the ability to recognize small differences in colors. Oh, I got that too. I got it from my great grandma. Yeah, I watched a video. I watched this video the other day about people who work at Pantone. Oh, damn, that would be awesome. And they have to take tests every year to make sure that they can still identify the nuances. Yes. And I kept thinking, I wish I could take that test. That would be really fun. And see where I fall on the Pantone scale. Yeah truth my great grandma could have like you know her pair of shoes that were a particular teal in new jersey and she'd be like you know in chicago um you know shopping for a you know a sweater or a dress or something and be like no that's slightly too blue she'd come home and like match them up and they'd be perfect because she would find exactly the same color she had a great memory for color. that is pretty amazing yeah so that's my everyday superpower is uh awesome nuances of color yeah that's pretty great <laughs> Thanks, Hannah. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this interview with Hannah. Publishing has a reserved space in my heart, having published my own book independently and knowing all the challenges that go into it. But I hope there was something in this interview for everyone, not just for publishing geeks. If you'd like to buy the book, I highly recommend it. It's got a great approach to knitting and the patterns are stellar. If you want to buy it, either check with your local yarn store or if you prefer to buy online, I would really appreciate if you clicked through the link in the show notes as I'll get a small portion of your purchase price from Amazon. It's a great and easy way to help support this podcast. I'd also love to hear your experiences with slow knitting and slow making. What do you do to ensure that you enjoy the process and that your making feeds you creatively? This is something that I struggle with a lot. When you have to knit to deadlines, you sometimes have to sacrifice the creative for the practical. And maybe I've just gotten too much in that habit. So I'd love to hear your advice for me on how you keep things fresh in your project basket. If you'd like to get that free clover hat pattern, there's a newsletter sign up on the page for this episode at yarnstoriespodcast.com. And then everything from there is all automated, so you should be able to get an email within a day or two. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please share it via social media or leave a five-star rating in iTunes. This podcast was produced in Salt Lake City, Utah, with production help from Sid Fallon. Music is by the ever-elusive Breakmaster Cylinder. I'll be back in two weeks to chat with Jennifer Tepper-Heberly of Spirit Trail Fiberworks. Bye!